We're going to have a little cell phone confessional for just a second. Uh, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody next to you. And I want you to answer this question. What is, the f- what is your favorite app on your phone? Ask them. What is your favorite app on your phone? Is it Pinterest? Facebook? Simply the texting app? Getting to know each other a little bit better. All right. Now do me a favor and take your cell phone and place it right where the devil won't get it. Okay? Right there. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite part of your phone? Is it Pinterest? Is it Facebook? Is it, is it, your, is it your texting app? What, what, what is it? What's your favorite part of your phone? We all have our favorite part of our phone. We all have our favorite apps. We talk about apps. We talk about how to be more productive. We talk about how to be more social. We talk about how, all, all the essentials. What do we do on our phone? Every day we work on these apps on our phones. Every single day. It's not so much different at church. We have apps at church. We have missional communities. It's an app. We have huddles. It's an app. Children's ministry. It's an app. Student ministry. It's an app. We have worship service. That's an app. It's an application. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing, is that we all love our apps, and that's what we talk about. If you were to talk to somebody about the, about the church at Cane Bay, you're going to talk about the applications. This is what they do. This is what their worship service is like. This is what their missional communities are like. This is what their children's ministry is like. That's what we talk about when we talk about church. When we talk about our cell phones, we talk about our apps. Here's what's boring. We don't talk about this with our cell phones. Go ahead, go ahead and put that up, Amanda, the, the, uh, we don't, the black screen. Help me out. There we go. We don't, we don't talk about this. Now, don't look too closely, you computer people, okay? We don't talk about this. Why? Because this is boring. Horrendously boring. What is that? It's code. That right there is an operating system. That is what makes your computer run. Your apps don't make it run. You can erase it because all the techies are looking at it right now and saying, oh, I wonder what that is. All right. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about the operating system. We talk about the apps. Nobody cares about the operating system. Now, you can, at any given moment, if you wanted to, take your phone and delete your favorite app, and your phone would still work. But I bet you that if you tried to delete the operating system, or where's, where's Billy? Oh, there he is, Billy. What would happen if you deleted the operating system? It wouldn't work. The one thing that we don't like to talk about, the stuff running in the background... The operational system, if you take that away, your phone don't work. Your computer doesn't work. And there is one specific part of your computer that is really the heartbeat of it all. You guys have heard these commercials about like Intel chips, or maybe you've heard the term CPU, Central Processing Unit. And when you buy a new computer, they're going to talk to you about the chip that's inside of your computer, the Central Processing Unit. And that's what they're going to sell you on. This is the the main brain of your computer, where everything runs through this CPU. Without this CPU, your computer doesn't run. There might be some other components you can add, subtract, move, move around, whatever, but you have to have a CPU. You have to have a central processing unit to your computer for it to function, for it to work. Now, the question is, for church and our life as, as a whole, what is the central processing unit? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so what, what is the CPU? What is it? What's that one thing that if you took it away, 
it wouldn't work anymore. What is that operating system critical element that is critical, that is majorly important? Here's the deal. The same critical CPU element in the church is the same in your own life. It's the same in your own life. Now we're about to enter into this uh, new series as we're kind of walking into this new building. We're going to walk into this new series called uh, operation, or, or it's called it's called our operating system. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be sharing with you the why behind the what. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the what: missional communities, huddles, you know, children's ministry, student ministry. Those are all apps. And those are all good things. We all love our apps. But we need to talk to you about what makes Cane Bay who we are, the philosophy behind what we do, our uh, the, the why, the who we are, the philosophy. There's five guiding values we're going to go over over the next uh, six weeks or so, and here they are. There's our five guiding values. Simplicity, harvest, partner, innovation, and generosity. That's what makes the church at Cane Bay tick. It's the why. It's the operational system that everything is, is led by. And so we're going to take one week for each one of those and explain what we mean by why are we a simple church? Why do we focus on the great things and not the good things? Why do we focus on the harvest? Jesus talked about the harvest, meaning the people who are lost out there that desperately need him. Why do we focus on them? Why do we talk about partnering with others in the community? Why do we talk about partnering with parents? Why do we talk about innovation? Why do we do things that nobody else is doing? And then are we a generous church? Do we, do we, um, do we exemplify extravagant generosity within our community, within our lives? And how do we project that forward? These are all our, we call them our guiding values. These are the things that, that are kind of, they're part of our operational system. Now, notice that I said guiding values. It's not the CPU. We're not there yet. And the reason why we want to go over this over the next six weeks, because, uh, because we are about to make a huge, major shift into our first permanent facility. And if you guys, I don't know if you guys, who's ever seen Hoosiers? You ever seen the movie Hoosiers? Ever seen that movie? Okay, four of you. Awesome. Okay. All right, Hoosiers is about a, uh, is about a high school basketball team in Indiana. And, uh, and they were from a very, very small town, Hickory, I think, right? And, uh, and they were from a very small town, and the whole story is, is really, really inspiring. But essentially, what they, they weren't ever any good, and then they became good. It's a good sports story. And they were part, they were part of a school that had a very, very small gymnasium, and that's where they would play all their games. And um, and so then they would, uh, then they kind of rose their way through the ranks and they went through the playoffs and they got to the state championship and the state championship was held in this massive arena. And so the coach brings them in to this huge new arena and they're all, they've never seen anything like that before. So there's this scene where all the players are looking around at this massive arena, like thousands and thousands of seats. It's, it's 10, 20 times the size of their normal gym, what they're normally used to playing in. And he gathers them at the court and he goes, can I have a tape measure? And he gets a tape measure. And he begins to take the measurements of the court. And he measures how high the hoop is. And he measures how, how far the free throw line is. And he asks them these questions. And he says, are these the same measurements as our court back home? And he says, yes. The basics of the game hadn't changed. They were still going to play by the same rules. They were going to have the same message. They were the same team. They were just going into a different, larger, nicer facility. 
why I want to go through these guiding values and why I want to talk to you about why we exist as a church is because that's the scene. We're going to go into a nice, larger facility. But who we are is not going to change. We're not going to drift away from what our, what the, the reason why we planted this church in the be, to begin with. We're going to stay the same church at Cane Bay, moving forward on mission, in community together, with one central focus. And our facility might change, but we are going to stay the same. So what is that core? What is the core? What is the CPU? What is the one thing that makes it all tick? It's the one element, and we say it every single week. We exist for every man, woman, and child to have multiple opportunities to hear, see, and respond to the the gospel. That's our CPU. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our central processing unit. It is our core value. And, And it says, actually, in our founding documents, it says it in our founding documents, that if we choose as a church to remove the gospel as our one core value, that the church at Cane Bay ceases to exist, that we no longer exist as a church, that we might be a group of people, but we are no longer a church. Because the gospel, if you remove the heart, you're no longer alive. And so I want to talk today about the gospel. In my own personal life, I came to know the Lord when I was 11 years old with Mr. Walt in my Sunday school classroom. And uh, he explained the gospel to me, and I understood it, and I came and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior of my life, later to be baptized and then walking with the Lord. Now, he explained the gospel, and I understood, and I believe that Jesus saved me on that one day. But I have to tell you, in just a confession, that I didn't fully understand the gospel And from there, I began walking, yes, with the Lord, but not really fully understanding exactly what he had done for me. And so I began to think that, yes, I'm saved, but now it's my turn to do all the right things for God. That in order for God to continue to like me, I have to keep on doing all these righteous and good acts. And when I mess up and when I sin, God doesn't like me anymore. And I have to get myself back into favor with God. And I began to live a very legalistic lifestyle, rule-following lifestyle. And I began to condemn other people that didn't live by the same lifestyle that I did. And so it was all about rules. Even though I had hidden sins that nobody knew about, and I struggled with them, I still kind of lived this kind of very legalistic lifestyle. Because if I didn't do that, then God wouldn't love me anymore, and I would have to get back into his good graces. And it became this kind of weighted issue that if I do enough good stuff, then God would like me. If I don't do enough good stuff, God's going to be pretty upset with me. Yes, I had this gateway. I had this beginning, this this understanding of the gospel at first. But then I I got to work out my own faith from there. The gospel is just for the beginning of Christian faith. It doesn't sustain you. And I just became a very religious person. It wasn't until much later grasping and grappling with this idea of the gospel that I want to go through today with you in detail that I began to understand that none of that was true. See, there's two things that the gospel is not. The gospel is not religion. The gospel is not religion. It is not some idea that you you have to, this weighted issue like I just talked about, where you're trying to get into God's affections. That if you do enough righteous good deeds, then therefore God's going to like you. That is not how the gospel works. 
God loves you long before you ever, ever loved him. And then he continues to love you even in your mess, even in your sin, even in your messed up life. He continues to love you and continues to draw you back and continues to want a relationship with you all the way through. The other thing is that the gospel is not just the beginning. It's not just the beginning. A lot of us understand, oh, we're going to preach the gospel to somebody. I'm going to accept this understanding of Jesus into my life. And then therefore, I have to kind of work out my own faith from there. I leave the gospel behind and it's just something, it's just me and God. Gospel is for the people who need Jesus, not for people who already have him. And that couldn't be a bigger lie. That we have to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves all the time and continue to, to kind of saturate and marinate inside of it. And that's one mistake that I didn't know until much later. So please understand that the gospel is not religion. It is a relationship with a person. And the gospel is not just the beginning. It is the whole of Christian life. So let's talk about what the gospel is. Let's talk about what the gospel is. I want you to do a quick self-assessment. Um, I'm going to put this up on the screen. and Here's what I want you to do. I want you to read this, and I want you to make a determination um, of where you are in your walk, uh, in, in, in your life, basically, with Jesus. So go ahead. It should be up there. No? Negative. Okay, it's not up there. Okay. Just kidding. I love you. Thanks. Okay. Uh, so anyway, so, so quick self-assessment. Here it is. We'll do it mentally. Are you guys ready? My understanding of the gospel is A, not confident. B, kind of confident. C, confident. Or D, very confident. My understanding of the gospel is A, not confident at all. B, somewhat confident. C, confident. D, very confident. Do that self-assessment just real quick in your own brain. Pick one of those. Do I fully understand the gospel? Do I know what it is? Do I apply it to my life? So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible on your phone, I know that you have your phone I know you got it, so you, you already admitted that. So go ahead. Uh, on, in your Bible or on your phone, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians about 80%, 80 of the way through your Bibles. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, open up to Ephesians chapter 2, written by the Apostle Paul and truly one of my favorite pieces of Scripture. Uh, when I die, I want this piece of Scripture read at my funeral. It is incredibly important to me, uh, and uh, it's, it's just really, really good stuff. So Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first uh, 10 verses. Here we go. It says in verse 1, And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now we're going to stop right there for just a second. So, so here, Paul is laying out our current state. What is the current state of human beings? And he, he had some very harsh language. In there, he talks about how we're children of wrath, how we're trespassers, how we are children, literally, of the devil, that we are sons of disobedience. I mean, there's some really hard 
language within these first three things. And basically what he says is, is that you are dead. You are dead. Now, that presupposes an idea. It presupposes this, that we were once alive, but now we are dead. You see, the original design for all of us, and Adrian said this earlier from the stage, is that we are made and created in the image of God, and that we were alive at one time. And the Bible talks about that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, how he created mankind in his image, and that we were at one time alive. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see that the, that the human race falls from grace and falls into sin. And at that point, we become spiritually dead. And so that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about our current state. He's talking to the Ephesians, and he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. We've seen a lot of that on the news this week, have we not? We've seen a lot of desperation. We've seen a lot of racism. We've seen a lot of hatred and bigotry. It is no secret to us that our world is jacked up. Like, so we read this and we're just like, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's about right. And so we're dead And so the gospel begins with this. The gospel begins with God's design, but then it flows very, very, very easily right into our death. The first knowledge about the gospel is that we are dead, that we have no ability, and we have no ability to do any righteousness on our own. See, that's the idea of the world. The idea of the world is that I I can become like God. I can do enough good stuff for God to love me, but that's not true. This is our state. We are walking around like zombies, dead. And our death is desperate and awful. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Read this with me. By grace, you have been saved. Good. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That right there is the beautiful picture of redemption through the gospel. That even in our desperate, deathly estate, that God decided that he was going to love us anyway. That through his absolute merciful love for us, that he's going to draw us out. And how he does this is amazing. It's fantastic. It's all every bit of his work. If you look in verse 5, it says this. Even when we were dead, we're dead in our trespasses. You know, there's, there's no waking up from that. You're dead in your trespasses. I love this. Made us alive together with Christ. In English, that's several words. In the original Greek, that is one big word, and it means woven together. Paul is saying that basically what God does in his mercy is that he weaves us together with Christ, like a sweater, like for somebody knitting together something, that he weaves our soul with the soul of Christ. Now, what did Christ do? Christ went on the cross, so Therefore, if we weave our souls with Christ, we are on the cross with him. He dies for our sins. Our sins are killed and dead. And then what happens? He raises from the dead. Who raises from the dead with him? Us. That we are no longer dead. 
but alive together with Christ. That whole statement is an amazing statement. But it has nothing to do with us. Paul is very sure of that. And he says, by grace you have been saved. It is not because of what you have done. It is only because of the immeasurable riches of grace towards us in Christ Jesus. This is not something of our own doing. We have to understand this point, that this is not something that we do. That's the whole crux of the gospel, that it's not something that we do, but it's everything that God does. 100% everything that God does. And so it's our deadness, and then secondly, it's God's work. It's our deadness And then secondly, the gospel is God's work. Catch it, it's not God's work and our work together. No, it is God's work. And how he does that is he sends his son, Jesus Christ, perfect in every single way, sends him as a missionary to this world. He displays and puts the kingdom of God, he puts the kingdom of God on display in this world by healing people, by raising people from the dead, sharing what it would be like if Jesus completely did run the world. And then, and then he is placed on a sinner's cross and he dies for us in our place where we should have been. It's the substitution that we should have been on the cross, that we should have died for our own sin, that we deserve hell. We deserve eternal damnation in hell, but God decides that he's going to love us anyway, and he's going to pull us out of that. So it is our deadness, God's work. And the last part of the gospel is verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that our response to this is very subtle, that God is doing all of the work. And in verse 10, he says, I've created all these good things for you to do, and all you have to do is walk in them. I've created them for you. You're just going to respond. You don't have to create them yourselves, that I've given you wonderful things to do to be a part of a church, to raise a family, to love children, to love widows, to love, I mean, to love all people everywhere, all over the place, all races, and every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity, everybody, that he's allowed us to walk in these good works. And so our response, other places in the scripture talks about this idea that we respond to him in repentance and faith. And then from there, we then walk with God, a continued gospel walk, and we marinate or saturate ourselves in that gospel walk. So the gospel, very simply, if you're just looking for, how can I, how can I understand this? How can I move a little bit further? Maybe I was at, you know, on that self-assessment. Maybe I wasn't very confident about the gospel, and now I'm, I'm moving a little bit further. I'm, I'm kind of moving, maybe, I'm, maybe I was A, now I'm B, or maybe I was B, now I'm C. My hope is that you would kind of understand it a little deeper, that it's our deadness that, that is, is, that's our future. Our future is supposed to be death and hell. But God worked and we respond. That's the gospel. So if you're trying to explain it to somebody, our death, God's work, and our response. So I want us to be a people that allow that to manifest itself. So when we look at this world, this week was terrible for our country. When we look at this world, we can understand that it, it, 
it's not just, it's, it's not just, yeah, people are just all riled up or we, you know, or, or the president's causing problems or what. It, it, it's, it's, it's not just that. It's that we were dead in our sins. That everybody that you see on that television, including yourself watching it, is dead in their sins. And the reason why people act this way is because they're sons of disobedience, children of wrath. And they're just acting out what they already are. Now we, have the, we can look at that and say, I understand why they're acting that way and there's only one redemption. It's the gospel of Christ. That's what's going to, that's what's going to heal this world. You can talk about politics, legislation all day long. The only thing that's going to heal this world is Christ. And so we, so we get ourselves into situations sometimes. Maybe you're a believer, but you're anxious all the time. I'm worried about everything all the time. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my money. Apply the gospel to that. Apply the gospel to that. That God has done everything for you. That he has all things under his control. And that if you believe in him and, and live with him, he will clearly give you wisdom to know how to handle some things. That he truly is, 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 not, is not going to leave you alone. He's going to walk with you. Yes, there's going to be things in this world that are going to be really hard that you're going to have to depend on him completely, but that's the gospel, that we depend on him completely in his work. Some people are like, oh, God's never going to give you anything that you can't handle. That's not true. God gives you stuff you can't handle all the time. That's the whole gospel. You couldn't handle your sin. You can't do it. And so therefore, God had to, had to die for it completely and then pick you up out of your deadness and make you alive. And so therefore, do you think that that's going to change? God gives you stuff you can't handle all the time. And so our response, according to the gospel, is say, God, I trust you in all things. I can't do this. Only you can do this, and I rely on you. So let's be careful about how we live. Sometimes we live in a lot of guilt. That's the way I was living. I live in a lot of guilt. Man, if I was a better Christian, I wouldn't sin like this. Apply the gospel to that. God loves me even in my sin. And he desires for me to walk in faith with him. And yes, he wants me to repent. And yes, he wants me to trust him. But he doesn't love me any less. God does not love you any less any more than he does right now. And he will forever love you. So let's apply the gospel in those ways. The biggest question for you is the same question that's the biggest question for our church. Is, is the gospel your core value? Is the gospel your CPU in your life? Is it the one thing that makes your life tick? Or have you always thought that there's something missing? Something's wrong in my operation system. Life isn't working. Probably because you're missing your chip. And so my question is, is the gospel your core value in your own life? And, if you, and here's the deal. The gospel leads us to a person. It's not some philosophical idea. The gospel leads us to a person, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ who saves you and wants to walk with you. Yes, we might talk about the gospel as in like hardware, right? We implant the gospel to, to change every bit of our life, that Jesus comes into our life and begins to walk with us, and things begin to change. Small decisions become larger decisions. The way that we used to think begins to change, and we, the choices that, we, that were so hard to make years ago are easy to make now because we have a different CPU. 
we think about the world differently. So my question is, is the gospel your core value? And if it's not, you're either one of two things. You've never accepted Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, and I, want, I desperately want that for you. And you need to make that decision today and grapple with that today. Or you have come to a saving knowledge of Christ, but for whatever reason, you've decided not to trust him with it. And you're not using your CPU of your computer. So my question is, do you need to pray and ask God, say, God, I need to, I need to, I need to move closer. I need, you to, I need you to come closer and us to have this relationship together. And so there's nothing else like the gospel in all the world. You can look around, but there's nothing else like it. And so we believe this as a church. And so we want to always make our decisions based upon how the gospel interacts with our, with our lives. And so as a church, we kind of we have a couple goals. That we, as a church, we have a giant target that we're trying to hit. It's a little, this looks like a target, right? We're trying to hit this target as a church. We've got goals and we're trying to hit that target. And what is at the center of the target? The center of the target is the gospel. We de- if we're shooting at this thing, we want to hit the bullseye every time. That's what we're shooting for as a church. And here's the deal. No matter where people end up on our spectrum, whether they're in a missional community or a huddle, or maybe they come to one of our events, or wherever they hit us on the spectrum of the target, we want to drive them to this gospel. Constantly drive them to this gospel. How can we drive people closer into a, to a gospel saturation of their life? This worship service, the purpose of it is to drive you towards a better understanding of Jesus' good news in your life so that we might be gospel-saturated people right in the middle of that bullseye. So we have that goal. Our second goal is this. Once we have gospel-saturated people that love Jesus, that have Jesus as their CPU in their life, and they're making decisions based upon a gospel-saturated life, we want to take those people and send them out to a lost world. So it's a both hand. We want to hit that bullseye and stay right there and send people out so that they might impact people who are not here yet. So we're going we're, we're to actually use this target throughout this entire series to explain a lot more about our church. It gets a little bit more complicated than that, uh, but it's, it's a whole lot of fun. So my hope is that you'll see that the goal, of, the goal of our church is to maintain gospel centrality, that we want to have this thing at the center of our target, but more so, we want you to have the gospel as your core value. This idea that God has worked and that we must respond. And so my question to you, if you've never, if you're at that, at that kind of where I gave you a self-assessment, you're at A and you had no understanding of the gospel, my question to you is, have you ever grappled with a relationship with Jesus? And do you want to be forgiven of your sin? Do you want to walk with him so that he can take away guilt and anxiety, that he might be able to give you freedom? Freedom from your sin, freedom from that guilt, freedom from anxiety about the future. Have you ever made that decision? And so if you want to make that decision, I want to talk to you about that. And I'll be right over there at the, at just a minute as the band's going to come up and play. And I want to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus where we can pray together. I can answer questions and we can just talk through what it would mean to have a relationship with Jesus. I hope that you don't wait. As soon as we stand up, I hope that you'll come to me and you want to talk about it. Uh, and I would love, I would love to do that with you. And church, let's maintain our, the gospel as our core value.
Let's pray. God, thank you. Uh, Thank you for the good news. The good news that Jesus has come, that he has given up his life for ours, that he substituted himself for us. And that there's, once we have that relationship with you, once we have the gospel as central in our life, that we could never lose it. That no matter what we will do or have done, that we're not going to lose that grace in our life. So God, I pray that you would give people that um, assurance today. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of the gospel. And may we be just continued, uh, continue to be a gospel-centralized church bringing people closer and closer towards Jesus and then allowing them to saturate their lives, make all of their decisions, all of their choices, that they would look at the world with a gospel-centered worldview and then from there that they might be sent out to plant churches, to plant missional communities, to, to send the message of the gospel around the world to people who have never heard. God, I pray that we would be that sending church. Thank you for the gift of a great gospel. And may may its power and your power be known and manifested today. Amen. Don't wait. Come and see me.